Well, happy Lent to you. Is it okay to say that? Can we say, have a happy Lent? Today is the first Sunday of the season of Lent in the church calendar. And Lent, of course, is that practice of the church of preparing oneself for Easter. It's a time that's often marked, and for good reason, it's often marked as a, as a time of repentance. That's one of the reasons that there's a tradition in the church to give something up for Lent. And we do that as a, as a kind of penance. At least that's what, how some people are motivated to do. Is, but let me ask you this, is that really how we should most think of Easter and Lent? Now, of course, this, this is a serious time. In this season, we recognize Christ's death on the cross. And we shouldn't take that lightly. We shouldn't take that flippantly. But should we really most see this time of Lent as a time of penance? Or might we be better served, or at least, at least well served, if we also saw this season as a time for great celebration? Because let's remember, the crucifixion and the resurrection are also actually times of great victory for the Lord. And because of that, we shouldn't just think of these weeks leading up to Easter as a time for solemnness. I mentioned that at Lent we we may often think of what we might give up. We might want to engage in, in some type of fasting during Lent, and, and that by no means is, is necessarily a bad thing. But I, I wonder if in doing that, is there a chance that we might run the risk of obscuring the way that the Lord in Scripture calls us far more to feasting than to fasting. In the Old Testament, God gave Israel a a kind of church calendar which, which helped Israel to see how the Lord wanted her to live in community as God's people. And in that calendar, God called upon Israel to feast some 80 to 90 days out of the year. But he only called Israel to a particular fast once a year. And that was on the Day of Atonement. I I wonder if we see this 40-day season of Lent as as being a time of fasting, I wonder if we might be in danger of reversing that biblical ratio of days of feasting and days of fasting. You know, and I think that it's reasonable for us to especially give this consideration when, when we remember that Jesus and his disciples were actually criticized by the Pharisees because the Pharisees thought that he and his disciples feasted too much and fasted too little. We'll be beginning a a short Lenten preaching series today, and, and I've entitled this series, The Road to Glory. And as we'll see in our passage this morning, Christ's road to glory passes through feasting. Our sermon passage this morning will focus upon a passage of Scripture that's found in Luke chapter 5. 
And I invite you to either turn to that in your Bibles or you can also look in your bulletin where I've got that printed out for you and you can follow along there. And again, let me preface the words that I'll say today that I'm really not speaking against the idea of fasting. Jesus speaks of fasting approvingly. And he suggests that it has a right use in the life of a believer. But for our time together this morning, I'd just like to suggest this. And that is that Jesus is the Lord of feasting. Jesus delighted to feast with people. And in fact, in his gospel, Luke tells us of more than 10 occasions in which the Lord shared a meal with others where Luke felt compelled to write of that. We're going to consider one of those occasions in our time together this morning. Jesus delighted to feast with others. And I've got to tell you, that's one of the things that I've been missing over this last year, and especially these last months of winter. That's something that I'm looking so forward to in the months to come, of us being able to join together, both as a church family, as well as just brothers and sisters in Christ, joining together and sharing meals together, enjoying one another's company in that manner. Our sermon passage today comes to us from Luke chapter 5, and this morning we'll consider verses 27 through 35. Help set the context of this passage. It's early in Jesus' ministry, and he's, he's calling his first disciples to himself. And in this passage that we look at today, Luke will tell us about how Jesus called Matthew, referred to here in this passage as Levi, that speaks of how Jesus called Levi or Matthew to follow him. And then Luke tells us about some of the events that soon followed that. So let's look at this passage now, but before we look at God's word, let's ask for God's help. Pray with me again, please. Father God, we thank you for your word. We ask you, Father, that you would send your spirit so that we might rightly understand your word. Show us marvelous things, Lord, from this portion of your holy scripture, we pray. Amen. Well, again, our passage today is Luke 5, verses 27 through 35. Let's turn our attention again to the reading of God's holy, living, and inerrant word. Luke writes... Speaking of Jesus, after this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he, meaning Levi, rose and followed him. And then Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they, meaning the Pharisees, said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so to the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast 
while the bridegroom is with them. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's word for you today. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. Now, we're not going to do a full exposition of this particular passage today, but but what are some observations that we can make from this passage? First, and I made reference to it a little bit earlier in our service, first, please make note of that, and that is that Jesus is willing to associate with sinners. And we should be thrilled at that. Because, friends, that's why he's willing to associate with you and I as well. Notice in in verse 32 that, that Jesus is even willing to associate with sinners, it seems, before they've repented of their sins. And the religious authorities there in Jesus' day didn't think much of that. Because they delighted to think very highly of themselves and they thought that they needed to stay away from such people. How could they share God's truth, God's love with them if they weren't, if they weren't willing to be in a relationship with them? So the religious authorities, they, they question Jesus about this and, and their questioning comes with a bit of an attitude. Luke tells us in verse 30 that the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then in verse 33, they question him again. And and really what they're doing here is they're they're questioning Jesus' authority. This is very early on in his ministry, and already we're seeing opposition to Jesus and his practice we already see opposition growing. And the Pharisees are already beginning to challenge him. In verse 33, they challenge him again, saying, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do we. So do the disciples of the Pharisees. But Jesus, yours do not. Yours eat and drink. And you'll remember that elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus is actually called a glutton because of the way that he loved to share meals with others. And to their questioning and to their opposition, Jesus responds to them saying, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? A wedding is no time for the guest of that wedding to fast. But a wedding celebration is cause for rejoicing. The road to glory passes through feasting in the presence of Jesus. The kingdom as God is, is, is like a wedding feast. In fact, Jesus says exactly that in Matthew 22. It's a time of great celebration. It's a time, it's a reason for great joy. And because Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom of God, we can and we should rejoice. You know, there are multiple places in the Old Testament where we're told that the Lord is like a bridegroom to his people. 
And we have reason to understand here that, that Jesus is hinting that he is that bridegroom that Scripture speaks of. He's suggesting here that it would be wrong for others to fast in his presence. Because being in his presence is cause for great rejoicing. It's cause for great feasting. Because our King has come. Our God has come. And friends, Easter and Lent are also cause for great rejoicing. Because we're reminded in this season that Jesus conquered the grave. He's conquered sin. He's vanquished our greatest enemies, sin and death and Satan himself. And because of that, this time of year especially, but of course any time of the year, is a time for celebration, a time for feasting in joy over what the Lord has done for us. The road to glory passes through feasting. But of course the road to glory will also pass through a time of mourning. And Jesus makes reference of that as well in verse 35. In verse 34, Jesus says that while he's with his disciples, there's cause for great rejoicing. But then in verse 35, he says that a time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from his friends. And in that day, that'll be a time for fasting. That'll be a time for mourning. And of course, that primarily refers to his time between the crucifixion and his, and his resurrection. But then again, of course, after that resurrection, a time for great joy will come again. There's actually even an aspect that, that this refers to the era that we now find ourselves in, where we're still living in this age where sorrow and death remain as we wait for Christ's return for him to usher in that new era of full redemption where the promises of God will be fully and finally realized. Jesus is our great bridegroom and he has come to us. And because he is with us even now through his spirit, we can and we should rejoice. We remember, though, that that Jesus just isn't our own personal bridegroom alone, but that he's the bridegroom for all of his church. We're united to him and we're, we're united to one another. That's actually the theme of the hinge study, that new study that the women began doing this week. And we'll all as a church be be studying some of those same concepts in various days throughout this year as well. That we are united to Christ and we're united to Christ's church. We're united to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thinking of Christ's road to glory in this passage that we looked at where Christ references being like a bridegroom to us. That, that reminded me this week of, of one special wedding feast where Christ revealed his glory in a very special way and That, of course, is the wedding feast at Cana, which John speaks to us about in John chapter 2. I'll invite you to either turn to that in your Bible or you can turn to the front of your bulletin. And I've got that passage printed out there. 
You remember the story. Jesus is at a wedding feast and the wine has run out. Jesus then on discovering this tells some of his servants who are there to to take some stone water jars and he tells those servants to fill those jars with water. John tells us that each of these six water jars um, could hold 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus has the assistants fill the jars with water. But when they draw out what was in those jars, it's now been miraculously turned into the finest of wine. And in verse 11 of that passage, John tells us that, that in doing this first miracle at this wedding feast in Cana, that Jesus manifested his glory. Jesus manifested his glory through this miracle of transforming water into wine. Friends, rejoice. Jesus is able to turn water into wine. Jesus is our great miracle worker. And his miracles bear witness to his uniqueness. And his miracles bear witness that the blessing of God is upon him and his message. And his blessing, his grace that he provides is super abundant. Notice that Jesus doesn't just just produce a little bit of wine. He doesn't just produce the equivalent of of one glass of wine, which would be unique enough, which would be a miraculous enough. But what does Jesus do? How much wine does Jesus produce at this feast? Well, remember Luke says that there are six jars of 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus produced somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of wine. And in that, we see that Jesus lavishes us with his superabundant provision. And what he gives is the very best, as you'll remember that the master of the feast commented about how, the, how wonderful this wine was that Jesus had created. A life with Jesus is the life of the greatest of blessings. It's the abundant life. It's life to the full, as John says in John 10.10. A life with Jesus is the life of Psalm 23.5, where he causes our cup to runneth over with the greatest affair, with the finest of all blessings. And Jesus isn't just able to transform water into wine. But he can also do another amazing miracle. He can also transform us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, meaning the very image of Christ. Being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And that, friends, that transformation that Jesus is able to do is every bit as great a miracle as what he did that day at the wedding feast of Cana. Christ's road to glory traveled through that wedding feast at Cana. 
But our road to glory travels through Christ's redeeming work of transforming us into his very image. Christ's road to glory will also pass through one other wedding feast. And that's what's called the wedding feast or the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's spoken of in places of Scripture like Revelation 19 and Isaiah 25. That'll be the great celebration that the Lord will host for His bride, the church, at the end of the age. Here's how Isaiah describes that in Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. He says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of well-aged wine, a feast of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away all tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited on him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And here's how John speaks of that wedding feast of the Lamb in Revelation 19, 6 through 9. He says, Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. And then John says, And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Friends, you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss that feast. Because that feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb, is the culmination of all of history. All of history, all of Scripture, all of God's redemptive purposes are marching forward to this spectacular conclusion of the wedding feast of the Lamb where the Lord Jesus Christ will receive His bride, the church, to Himself. And you want to be there for that day. Don't miss it. By the preserving power of the Holy Spirit and Christ's hold of you, strive, endeavor to walk faithfully with Jesus for a lifetime. Make this to be your greatest goal. Friend, I'm t- friends, I'm tired, and I suspect that you are, of seeing person after person, religious leader after religious leader, falling into sin, of losing their first love, as the Lord speaks of in Revelation 2 and 3. Friends, protect yourself from that. Apply yourselves to walking with Jesus faithfully for a lifetime. Don't expect that this will just happen automatically. We have too much evidence that shows us that it isn't an automatic thing. Yes, we are saved because of Christ's hold upon us. But we are also called in Scripture to hold fast to Him as well. 
Remain faithful with all of your being. Seek to remain faithful to this one who has promised to be faithful to you. Strive to help keep your soul as good soil. Pull the weeds of the cares of this world from your life. Protect your heart from becoming hardened. And add the the needed nutrients of spiritual food. Make use of the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and Bible study and Bible memorization. Make regular use of, of other spiritual practices such as times of prayer and devotion to the Lord, times of worship like today, times of service, times of Christian fellowship. Make use of the sacraments of baptism in which we're pledged to the Lord in, in very much the same way that, that two people become engaged to be married. That's actually one of the pictures of baptism. And we're also to make use of the Lord's Supper, which we have prepared for us today, that where we can think of this meal as an appetizer to the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's a picture of that. Remember that great feast which is promised whenever, whenever you come to the Lord's table. And recognize that, that it is good and right for us to receive this piece of cracker and this little cup of juice. There's actually great power that is contained in that. But friends, recognize that that is but a foretaste of something far more superior that awaits all those who will walk with Jesus faithfully for a lifetime. Each time we partake of this meal of the Lord's Supper, we look back. And we look forward. We look back to his life given to us. We look to his body which was given, which was broken to us. We remember the cross. But friends, also in this meal, remember the empty tomb. Because you are not to separate the cross of Jesus Christ from the empty tomb, from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We look back, we remember that victory over sin and death which he achieved, but we also look forward to a greater, to a more full and complete and final victory over sin and death. And we look forward to that great feast, that great wedding feast of the Lamb. And also, as we come to this table, as we come to the Lord's table, remember, friends, Remember with great joy and thank him that he's willing to associate and invite to his table sinners such as you and I. Please pray with me again. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your extravagance, for the extravagant welcome that you offered people. Such as a woman caught in adultery. Such as a woman who had formerly been a prostitute who had come to see you as being altogether glorious and who came to anoint your feet with oil. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you are willing to associate with tax collectors and sinners. For if that were not true, you would not be able to associate with us. We thank you, Lord, that you have caused us to be born again to a new hope. And you have caused us to be born again to a new identity. Your word tells us that, that more than us being rightly considered as sinners, it is now right for us to be seen as saints. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of what you have done on our behalf. For you have caused us to share in your glory. For you have given your righteousness to us. You have clothed us in your righteousness. We once, because of our sin, were clothed only with filthy rags of sin. But you, Lord Jesus, on the cross, took our, our filthy rags of sin upon yourself. And you clothed us in a robe of righteousness. And because of that, we are now perfectly acceptable to the Father. And Scripture tells us in that passage from Revelation 19 that those whom have been given this new garment like fine linen are invited to partake of the wedding feast of the Lamb. And only those. Lord, help us to see you as our all in all. Wet our appetite by this meal that we take today, Lord. Wet our appetite for the wedding feast of the Lamb. Lord, work in our hearts more and more to desire to be in fellowship with you and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And may we find great reason for celebration and rejoicing as we live in community with you and with them. Lord Jesus, take these common elements of, of bread and juice and set them apart for your holy purposes, Lord. Strengthen our faith, Lord, so that we would not abandon you, but so that we would follow you faithfully for a lifetime. That is our prayer. Amen.